I've lived a bit of life by now. I've met a lot of people. One thing I see in every human being is that underneath their surface, there is magic. Some talent, some gift, some passion or interest, maybe even a soul deep calling. When I talk with them about the things they love the most, people tend to open up and come alive. When they do, interesting conversations tend to happen through thoughtfulness, laughter, and even sometimes tears. They share their magic in ways that intrigue, excite, inform, and change things. Join me one episode, one conversation at a time for a quest behind the magic with Amy Mauser. Hi, good afternoon and welcome friends. My name is Amy Mauser and today we are going behind the magic with Rachel Pollack. Rachel has led an extraordinarily magical life. She's the author of 46 books, including two award-winning novels and a series of books on tarot known around the world. Her work has been translated into 15 languages and she has taught in 12 countries. She inspires tarot enthusiasts and literature lovers around the world. Thanks so much for being here today, Rachel. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you. So one of the ways that we get behind the magic is that before we connected for today's interview, I worked a little bit of your numerology with your permission and uh, worked out your birth cards, which I know you already know those things. <laughs> but for our listeners who may not know, um, this is kind of our way to pull back the curtain and talk about some of the the fun things about you beyond what we know on the surface, um, reading your books and learning from you at, at conventions and, and uh, online. And so your birth cards are an interesting pairing of strength and the star which I know you know. <laughs> and this really is a very interesting pairing for me where we look at um, you know, this place of needing to find this connection to divinity and to higher mind in order to um, live in this world in a way that was most pleasing and most real and most uh, beautiful to you as a writer and many other things. And now that you've learned that, it, the short story could kind of go, now you get to live among the stars and tell mm -hmm. us all about them um, and pour out that wisdom into both the water uh, of the earth and the land. Um, and so I, I love that set of, of birth cards and it's no wonder that you uh, are a little bit more than a star to most of us. So um, do you have any other in interesting insights about your birth cards that you'd like to share? Yes, it's, it's very interesting because it seems like I'm all of a piece. You know, my birthday is actually 17-8. 
So besides it's the same numbers, it also means I'm a Leo, and Leo is the theme of the strength card, of course. Yes. Um, and the star cards had great meaning for me on many levels. In particular, the connection to the goddess Persephone, and um, because of the pouring of the water from two vessels, which is, relates to the mysteries, I won't go into that. But so this has really been a very significant thing in my life. And then when you're a Leo, being a Leo is great. I once I once said that um, if you're a Leo and you're feeling depressed or low, go to a place, a bookstore, and find a cheap astrology book and look up what it says about Leo. It'll cheer you right up. <laughs> Absolutely. Because um, you know, there's negative stuff, and Leo's just great. Um, so that was all good. And then seventeen eight, you know, is all good. But um, wonderful is really. Um, Kabbalist and magician and tarotist named David Shar taught me how to make a tree of life with your birth card, which actually comes from Walt Amberstone, who's taught a course on this. It's wonderful. Yes. And so you have eight at the top and 17 at the bottom. So I always thought that these were great things to have, you know? Great, you know. But then it's like in the middle of the tree is death mm. in Tiferet, right in the middle. And then at the bottom, just before the star, um, is the tower. So it's a mm -hmm. difficult journey yeah. from 8 to 17. Because if you go yes. down the middle of the tree, you go from 8 to 13. So from strength to death, and from death to the tower, and then from the tower to the happy star. And yeah. when, I, when I first heard the idea, you, can, you have a tree of life, and the, well, this doesn't make any sense because there's 7 billion people in the world. And, you know, and would mean that it was like figured out was seven million seven hundred seventy-seven thousand seven hundred seven people would all have the same exact tree, right? Yeah. But then it, for each person, it's somehow different. And I did it for myself. I was just astonished at how much it illuminated my life. It just I won't go into it, but it, so that's those seventeen eight things are very significant for me. Yeah, absolutely, um, and. The, I, I look very forward to having a reading with you where we talk about um, making my tree uh, together because yeah. I, feel, I feel like that will be very enlightening and, and love yeah. your suggestion about doing that in future. So I'm, ex I'm excited to do that this year. What are too. your numbers? Remind me. So I am a third, I'm, I'm a hanged man empress. <laughs> okay. Wow. That's a good one. Interesting. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> very cool. Yeah. Yep. Huh. So. Uh, and and in some in and so other people also would tag the world onto the end of there as well and and yes. yeah. be all the threes. So yeah, yeah. I think it depends on whose school of thought you're coming from. Um, but it, it's kind of an interesting it's kind of an interesting deal. Um, and how much we find in these cards and in birth cards mm -hmm. about the individuals. Yeah. The other thing that's so cool is numerology. I love it. I do charts mm -hmm. for people all the time. Mm -hmm. Now, I did not uh, pull the full chart, right? Um, but I did run your numbers for one specific part in the charts that I do. And it's called like the soul's urge or the soul's mm -hmm. fulfillment card. Uh -huh. And um, in that place, you are a number five and it's a 14 five, which if we looked at that uh, in, in tarot, that would be another thing entirely, which is yeah. kind of cool. Yeah. But 
when we look at it in numerology, the five uh, really is kind of the freedom loving adventurer, which I thought was just amazing because you've traveled so much, you have found your voice in such a beautiful way and shared it. Um, and uh, you don't strike me uh, after a few conversations with you, you just don't really strike me as the type of person who likes to be boxed in, yeah. right? <laughs> Not at all. Definitely not. Yeah. <laughs> and so, and one of the wonderful and and interesting things about that is that a lot of times fives are popular and sought after storytellers. Oh, that's great. And I was like, well, if that's not Rachel Pollack, I don't know what <laughs> is. <laughs> and so, um, and we'll talk a lot today about storytelling because yes. that's that's probably in your top like three to five things to do, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. No, I love storytelling all kinds of ways, just in conversation like we're doing now to put stories in it, um, for obviously to write and make up stories. And, and also to me, the tarot is a book of stories. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I don't, I respect the whole idea of the doctrines of it, the correspondences, mm -hmm. um, that is the key to vast occult system of knowledge, but that's never really me. I respect mm. it, and I, I will, and I will use some of that thing for stories, as, sure. as springboards to a story. But storytelling with the cards is to me what it's all about, and always has been from when I first got them. I immediately started looking at them in terms of moments and stories. Yeah, and it's kind of an endless kaleidoscope, right? Yes, it can, yeah. it yeah. they can they can move themselves in any in any different right. way and show us very different things. Speaking of cards, it would be great to kind of go beyond the magic, uh, behind the magic there and um, kind of pull a card about what we're gonna talk about today. Okay. And so you said you would be very gracious and pull a card as well. So would you like to pull the first card okay. about yeah. the things we'll talk about today? Sure, so I've got the Shining Tribe deck, which I made. Um, so, well, this, Two, the bottom card, I'll show you. I'm going to the bottom card. It's actually very cool. So the bottom card is um, called the Place of Trees. It could be the uh -huh. card of the Page of Wands. The court card is replaced by what I call a vision card, which is progress. A place and a gift and a knower and then finally a speaker. Mm. But the Place of Trees is the place where people gather together in a joyous way. And it's inspired by... Um, I guess it's a plaque or something from ancient Crete. And it's, it's a, I tried to copy it really closely. But it's just it's a garden. It's a garden of trees where people are at ease and people are joyous. Um, the famous double axe of the goddess is there as well. It's not a weapon. It was a, it was a worship object. Um, mm -hmm. So that's, I think, a wonderful indication of you know, us meeting here and sharing things and opening things up for people. That's beautiful. I love that. Um, I love the deck. Those are great images. And I'm using the fountain tarot, which was gifted to me by my son. And interestingly, I pulled a 10 of swords reversed. Wow. 
So I think that's very interesting because we're going behind the magic. And if we think of the swords as air, which yes, is what air. I attribute them to air, mm-hmm. um, and the rever- and I read reversals. And so it's kind of an interesting place of the possibility of this time together to be talking about, and this is kind of double entendre, it's kind of fun, to be kind of talking about um, getting maybe some new ways of thinking about things. Okay. And the really fun part is that... One of the things we're going to talk about next is your love of fountain pens. Mm, yeah, and yeah. Look at them all. All There's of them. Yeah, of all of them. Exactly. That's true. <laughs> and so, are they uh, pens in the picture? Say again. Are they actually pens in the picture? They, are, they aren't. Light. But my immediate they're, yeah, they're I can see that totally. Yeah, in the yeah, picture. Yeah, but yeah, my yeah. immediate thing was, oh my gosh, it's a whole bunch of fountain pens, and yeah. how bright the things of our experience in on Earth and bring it down into um, written form, which is what you've done so eloquently and beautifully in so many ways. Um, And hopefully that our time together will also bring our listeners some freedom to find the uh, freedom-loving adventurer inside of themselves and the permission to go forward and do the things that they love to do. as well. So um, now that we are officially behind the magic, Mm -hmm. um, I would love to talk to you about this whole thing with fountain pens. Mm -hmm. So I have to know what first interested you in in fountain pens? What was the pull? What was the draw? Um, As soon as I saw one and had one in my hand, I think it was sixth grade. Long time yeah. ago, some old. Um, so, and Schaefer Pens wanted to introduce this, the new what they call cartridge pens. So, a very simple method of filling it: you just stick a cartridge in it. You don't have to mess around with various kinds of mechanisms. Anyway, but they also they were trying to pitch it to kids, so they had these very expensive ones, and they handed them out to kids in classes. I think the idea was you would get into this, and then you would pay for the cartridges and that's how they'd make their money. Mm-hmm. Um, so I got one of those and I was just, I just immediately in love with it. I just thought it was the coolest thing in the world. Because I think even in sixth grade I wanted to be a writer and this seemed such a magical writer object. Yeah. To actually use this beautiful old antique kind of thing. This is very modern but it felt like an old kind of thing of course. And so I just started doing it. But then you know, then I drifted away from it because it they're expensive and hard to find, and then at a certain point, I just found my way back to it, and um, and I, it's one of my great passions. I have hundreds of pens. That um, was my next question: was how many do you have? I haven't. I don't yet count them, but they range in price from like four dollars or two dollars to um, you know maybe three hundred. Wow. Those are obviously, you know, not very many of those, and they're for special occasions. So I had a pen made for my um, 70th birthday, which yeah. I actually get. Could, could I step away for a second? Yeah, yeah, totally. Okay. Yeah. Hi. So there's this wonderful man named Sean Newton, and he was a teacher for many years. I think he taught mathematics in high school, and he started making fountain pens as a hobby. And part of the purpose was to give um, some of the money to scholarships for his students. Really nice guy. And so I commissioned a pen from him for my 70th birthday. Uh, it's really beautiful. I hope you can see it. 
a little bit hard to see the, the textures. Yes, there you go. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But then he also engraves things on them, usually put someone's name. So I sent him a picture of my Shining Tribe card, the Shining Woman, the world card number 21. And he said, oh, oh, we got to, we have to do this. He just got so excited, you know. And he did this stunning job. Isn't that gorgeous? Oh, my goodness. It's just so beautiful, you know. That is beautiful. Yeah, yeah. So this one is always filled with ink and always on my desk. And... I wondered if it, it, how often do you, is this your... Um, kind of daily writing tool, or do you only use it for special things? I don't use it every day. I use it for letters and sometimes for writing something. Um, it's always there. And it works every time. One thing about fountain pens is if you don't use them for a few days, maybe even just a couple of days sometimes, they stop writing because the ink drains out of the uh, part with, with the point is. So you have yeah. to like prime them, it's called. You know? uh, and this one always writes. It'll be there for weeks. It writes the first second I pick it up. Oh wow! Isn't that great? Is that, yeah. it, so that's kind. Of, that's almost a little bit magical in its yeah, way it of like, it really is. Yeah. Of it's being because it's not job, how it yeah. would perform under any yeah. other circumstances. Yeah. 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 And the other thing about fountain pens is um, that people usually rotate them. This is the term in the, in the fountain pen world, and. So some people never write with them. People, people are hardcore collectors. They just collect them as objects. Mm -hmm. But most of us write with them. That's part of the point. But then you, yeah. know, you have a bunch of them. You just use some, and then you, they empty a thing, and you clean it and pick up another one. And that's part of the fun. That's why part of the fun of having so many. It's such a variety. Yeah. So, yeah. But as I said, the Shining Tribe one is always there. It's never uh, taken out of rotation. I love that. Yeah. And so for someone who is who grew up, so I grew up and in my home we only had ballpoint pens, mm -hmm. largely because my grandparents who raised me were uh one was blind and one was legally blind. Wow. And so oh a gosh. fountain pen could cause a lot of really pro big problems for someone who is not sighted, right? Yeah, sure. Um so so we really liked the big pens <laughs> at our house because you could control them. If um, you're not sighted, wouldn't we write with anything be difficult because you're not seeing what the pen is doing? Exactly. Well, so my grandfather would, um, he was taught, my grandfather was a concert pianist and wow. organist. And though he was blind his whole life, yeah. he'd be 100 now. And wow. so he didn't write much, but he he knew how to write his name so he would he would write right-handed like this and he would have his other finger to guide the letters along yeah, and yeah. so and he didn't he, he didn't like pens. his yeah. handwriting ink would smear if you had a fountain pen yeah yeah, yeah and yeah. he didn't he didn't really he didn't like his handwriting but i loved it like mm -hmm. when he would write uh on a birthday card or something like that it just always meant everything to me and so he would write he would write on cards and things for me um even whole sentences um and so that those were really very treasured things yeah, for me and my grandmother of course she was legally blind so she could see well enough to write she just couldn't like drive and do things like that um and so i honestly have no idea how a fountain pen works and i don't mm. think i'm the only per I'm, i yeah i can't sure. be the only yeah. listener that that doesn't know how they work could you tell us a little bit about how you actually, how they work? Well, you have first to fill it, of course, and modern pens use, like I said, a cartridge, or what's called a converter, which is a piston that 
fits into the cartridge slot that, you know, to make it easy. And I like that a lot. But the older pens have various filling systems. The most common is the lever. And so, um, if I can show you, if you can see the little lever here, right there? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, the pen's empty, and you pull that down, and that, and that has the effect of uh, squeezing inside this, what's called a sag or a bladder. Mm -hmm. And so that squeezes it, so it flattens it. Then you stick it into the ink bottle, the entire point has to go in, and then yeah. you let the lever go, and that sack expands, and so okay. it fills with, the vacuum fills up with liquid, which is ink. And that's, that's it. But the, the key to a fountain pen, um, what made it possible to really work was, um, let's see if I think this one shows it, is this part here, Yeah. which is called the feed. And okay. the, the modern fountain pen was invented by Lewis Waterman of Waterman Pens. And there's a story, a famous story, that he wanted to sign out some important documents with the pen he had at the time. And it, it sort of blurted out a blob of ink and ruined the contract. Uh. He said, I'm going to invent a better version. But in fact, that's not true. It's a, it's a myth. In fact, he'd been thinking for some years about it. This would be a good thing to invent. And so he just invented this um, feed that kind of controls the flow of the ink from the body of the pen onto the point of the page. And that's what made it all possible. So that's really what it's what all it is. It's, pretty, it's a really simple it's process. So much simpler than I would have thought. And then yeah. if you have the ones with the cartridges, it's even more simple than that, right? That, well, it's simpler to, to fill it, but that's not... Uh, otherwise, it's the same thing. That... Oh, Old fountain pens, the original fountain pens from Waterman and on, had um, feeds made of hard rubber, which is they call ebonite, which is a really good substance. The pens themselves are made of hard rubber, actually. Um, very powerful substance. But that became expensive. So modern ones, the feeds are made of, of um, plastic. And that problem, they often just drain out. Uh -huh. you, have to, you have to turn the piston, the converter, squeeze the cartridge or whatever to get it going again, which is... Not a big deal. This is part of the ritual. Right. Yeah. But you like the, and my understanding is that you like the older ones better than the newer ones. I like both. I have to say, there's some wonderful new ones. and The old ones tend to have better nibs. Because, you know, the modern ones, a lot of modern ones are made to be pretty. And so they don't really mm -hmm. care that much about the nib. They put in something cheap. Because you're buying it for this beautiful acrylic swirls of color and so on, which is great, you know. But it's nice if you can substitute a better nib, and some, sometimes you can do that. Um, but the old ones, that was the main feature. And yeah. the old ones, a lot of them had what's called a flexible nib, um, which means that if you press more, the line widens. Because the fountain okay. pen nib is not a single thing, it's like two halves. And then if you press it down, it widens a bit, right? Mm -hmm. And so that means more ink is coming out. So you have a wider line, and then if you let it go again, it comes back to narrow. You have a narrow line. So it's very expressive. That's part of what I love about it. Let me see which of these um, pens I have here that's filled, that has that. Um, let's see. I think there was one, but I'm not sure now. Um, yeah. Um, I don't have one. Let me see if I can do it with this one. Hang on a second. It reminds me of of like the lines of calligraphy too. Yeah, yes, it's, yeah, calligraphic pen. 
is a calligraphy pen does not have that open closing thing, it, but it has a kind of um, a certain kind of point. Right. That horizontally is very narrow and vertically is, is wider. Can yeah. you hang on for one more second and I'll come right back? Sure. Okay, I've got a couple. I hopefully one of them will be working right now. I won't have to fuss with it to have it do what I wanted to do, and I'll just see in a second. This one seems to be working. Okay. So let me get a piece of paper and I'll show you what I'm talking about. Um, there's a nice piece of paper. Okay, here. Okay. So this is a one of my favorites. It's a small... Uh, if I ever collected anything by brand, it would be this brand called Walt, W-A-H-L, from the 1920s and so on. Um, wow. I, I just think this is so beautiful. That's what's called a tulip clip, because there's a little tulip here. And um, I love the clip. I just It seems so elegant. Yeah. And so let's see if I can show you what I mean. So, so here the first part is fairly narrow without pressure. You see that? Right. Okay. And then if I add pressure, I get that. Oh, wow. And then what you can do is you can do swirls. And I'll show you that. So isn't that great? Oh, that's beautiful. You're winning me over to fountain pens. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I have to tell you how I first found out about this. It's a great story. Yeah. So I was, you know, collecting modern pens. I'm collecting. I had bought, bought a few. And I was in this um, stationery store in New York City in Soho. And I don't think they're there anymore, sadly. And um, they had a fountain pen counter. So I was admiring them. And one of the salesmen came over. And he said, can I help you? I, I sort of had this desire to show him I was not a novice. So so I pointed to this one Italian pen. I said, well, um, I would love to get that Omas Paragon, but it's way beyond my price range. So, oh, we said, you know fountain pens. So it had the effect, you know. That was the effect I wanted. Right, exactly. <laughs> and, then, and then he did this really cool thing. So you know how, like, in movies, you know, the person who's selling counterfeit things or or, you know, selling drugs, whatever, you know, looks right. around to make sure there's nobody can spot him. And he says, let me show you. He opens his, you know, takes something out. So he did that. He looked around. His boss wasn't there. He took out this silver pen. He said, I want to show you something. And he did that. I just showed you with those loops, you know. Yeah. I was just stunned. I was flabbergasted. And he told me it was called the Flexible Nib. He explained it to me. He said it's in vintage pens. You know, I just thought that was the coolest thing in the world. You know, so I just tracked it down. I went to actually I went to the site and he got that one. It was very expensive. So I just thought all these were very expensive. I just figured, okay, I'll never get one of those. And then um, I so it wasn't true. And particularly the smaller ones are not expensive, or they're still expensive, but not like the big ones. So this right. is called a ring top because it has a little ring on top instead of a clip, right? Uh -huh. um, and this is also small, you know. And mm -hmm. I'll show you the smallest one I have, which I inspired a book. Um, and it's this one, you know. Oh. Yeah. So see if you can guess why these small, ornate pens are much less expensive for collectors. So are the small ones less expensive? Is that the question? Yes. And I'll give you a clue that 
the bigger and thicker, the longer and thicker the pen is, the more valuable it is for collectors. Okay. So that's very interesting. It, it seems like you're asking me a trick question. Well, I'll give you another clue. <laughs> that most of these most of these rich collectors are men. Ah. So the smaller pens are worth less because their hands are too big and beefy. Well, no, right? because they're for ladies. Because they're for ladies. Yeah. I sometimes there's sometimes these discussions on these pen sites. I can't get over this. Which these guys are debating which one has which one's pen is the longest, the thickest, and sports the most ink? That is hilarious. <laughs> and aren't they conscious? <laughs> <laughs> so one time I wanted to say to someone, but I knew I'd get in trouble. I wanted to say, I said, I want to say, um, you're the person who puts the I in pens. <laughs> <laughs> So, so pens that were made for women are just not valuable. Isn't that interesting? But they're some of the nicest because they have beautiful, beautiful to look at. They're, they're expressive in their writing. Right. Because women tend to write more expressive styles of writing. Right, and it and it shows us really how much misogyny there was going back. Always, in, yeah, sure. It, even being able to learn to write, allowed to learn to write. Yes, that's true too. Yeah. Being valued as an author or anything yeah, like yeah, that. Um, yeah. It, it wasn't that long ago that these no. were issues yeah, that were yeah. very big and insurmountable. And yeah. so, um, it, so, which brings us to another interesting question, because, um, you know, as a lyricist, for example, I'll hear two or three words or a little phrase mm. and yeah. need to go and write that down yes. and then the rest of it starts to come. Mm. And I'm really fancy my Ticonderoga pencils and my really good pencils. Oh, but that's a great tradition, pencil. actually. Writing with good quality pencils. You know, Hemingway famously always wrote with a number two pencil, standing upright by a drawing board. So the, his yellow legal pad, he wrote a yellow legal pad, and I was on the drawing board, uh, so he didn't have to sit down. At, I think he started at six in the morning, five or six in the morning. Wow. And that's very interesting to me too, because I have never understood why I am about pencils. And if you could see my desk right now, there's probably six legal pads sitting here of yeah, various see? colors. Yeah, you <laughs> so, and Hemingway, see. <laughs> now we know um, <laughs> that and the and the and the and the and the polydactyl cats with the six toes. I don't know if you've been to Key West to his no, home in no, Key West, yeah. but there are part of his estate is in taking care of all of these polydactyl cats. He's mm. got all these six-toed cats. It's really cool. Good for him. That's uh, nice. I didn't know that about him. Yeah. yeah, it's a really neat thing. It was so cool to just watch all these really neat cats walking around with six toes. Um, but so the pens themselves for you have become a muse of sorts at oh, yeah. times. Oh, right? nice, yeah. yeah. So tell us a little bit about how that comes to be and how how often you begin with pen and paper rather than uh, keyboard and, and Well, first paint. of all, everything is pen and paper. Everything I write is done in longhand, on, usually in um, large journals. Mm -hmm. So I've already written quite a bit before I stop and count because <laughs> I try to write a thousand words a day. Okay. Um, that's another thing the writers do is have a daily amount that we do. Mm -hmm. um, so that's all. So it's always a fountain pen, you know, you know, on good quality paper, because um, it inspires me to do it. Yeah. You know, the desire to write 
is, is fueled by knowing I have this beautiful pen to do it with and a beautiful notebook. It's so so it's always money worth spent in terms of like, you know, on my work and value and the money I spend on it. Um, but also I get inspired by the pens, particularly pens with names or initials on them. That's also another thing that's more, I think probably was more common on fountain pens for women. I'm not quite sure if that's yeah. true or not, but a lot of the smaller pens definitely have beautifully ornate um, initials or names. So I have done several books or stories inspired by pens. Um, one of them is, um, let's see what this one is. Okay. I have actually two pens that are like sisters. They're almost identical. Oh, yeah, I yeah, see. Slightly different. And um, so one of the older one has on the name M. Matthias, M-A-T-Y-A-S. And okay. as soon as I looked at that, the name Master Matthias came into my mind. And a whole idea for a story about this magician who rises to the highest levels and then falls to the deepest depths and has to be redeemed. Mm-hmm. And I wrote it for um, a book, a story called Master Matthias, for a book of um, divination-themed stories um, called Tower of Perfection. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, and then left, and after that, I, I became interested expanding that story. So it became part of a story called The Child Eater, a novel which was published a few years ago. Just, I had that here, so I'll just hold it up to show people. Yes. <laughs> we love to see all Yeah, this things. is it. Yeah, The Child Eater, it's called. And oh. um, so this is, um, this was, you know, directly inspired by that pen. And Matthias became, this, I think, one of my best characters. And I, I loved writing about him very difficult and challenging and and um so there's that one and now it's sister pen um has a name on it rp wolf rp mm. and then w l o l f e i guess you can't see it anyway mm-hmm. so immediately i started playing with you know rp rachel pollock um mm-hmm. wolf being a werewolf and then there's my favorite detective is neuro wolf mystery stories so i thought if like you know it could be um I could be a fat detective because the wolf is very fat, famously. <laughs> um, but then I, then I went back to the werewolf idea, and I came up with a story that's still in progress. It's not finished, but half done. And it's a story about a, um, a woman named Rebecca Park, who is a therapist. And okay. she has a client who claims he's not really a human being. He's an animal. Mm. And he's been imprisoned, in a sense, in a human skin. And he's trying to get oh. liberated. Um, and clearly, he has <coughs> clearly he knows something about her and he's trying to lure her into claiming that she's like him. And she becomes fixated on, the, and this turns out there's a werewolf cult in Central Park. Um, mm-hmm. And it's a magical cult. So so it's a very mysterious kind of, so it's all inspired by this name, R.P. Wolf. It's amazing what can come just from that little bit. Do you remember where you, uh, where you got those two pens? Where they were stored? Uh, usually just online, at a, you know, from a dealer. I don't yeah. remember exactly who it was. Yeah. And and these are these are just kind of antique pens that someone somewhere yeah. else owned and went with their estate and had right? the name on it, the name with their initials. Yeah. Oh, one more because it's also a, a story. I'm just about finishing another novella, but a little shorter. Yeah. So this is a pen. 
I just love it. It's just a very small one I showed you. Give you an idea of how small this is. Um, here is the biggest one I have here, which is the one made for me, right? And so here's this. Mm -hmm. It's a little baby, you know? Yeah. And this one has on it um, the initials um, L um, O L F. Now, so let's say immediately a name or phrase came to mind. Ordo Lumina Furiosa. The okay. order of the furious light, a magical order that has to do with fury and light and fire and power. Um, and I started thinking of a story about this. Yeah. And in this story, it's this young woman, she's, well, she's a girl actually, she's about 12. I have to say she's 12 or 13. And she's kind of lonely, she's a bit of an outcast. She, she tries to cast herself as a, as a rebel, a witch, and an anti-patriarchy, but she's, she's also just very lonely. Because um, you know, mm -hmm. she has no friends, because she's so strange. Um, and she, she changes her name one day. She basically decides to change her name to Olivia Luminaria Featherstone. And then she goes out and gets the mail, and there's, there's this pen, you know, which I described exactly as, as it is. And it says on it, um, OLF, which is her initial. So she just changed her name. So this sets her off on this quest to find out what's going on. And she finds out about the Order of Lumina Furiosa, and it, it ends up in a very intense ending. But um, I actually know what those initials are. Okay. Because when I bought the pen, it came in its original box, which is very rare. It's a very cool little box, you know. Oh, neat. You know, and in the box, I discovered after I had come my own fantasy of the name, actually on the back of the box, it says two things. It says, "Miss Olive L. Fletcher, Holcomb, New York." Interesting. And, uh, and then it says, uh, "Was it December 15, 19? Let's see if I can make that. It's a little faded. It's like 1925, maybe. I'm not sure, actually. Wow. Uh, and then at the top is written, um, from Daddy, for oh. quotation marks, Batsy, which obviously was his nickname for Olive. Yeah. So I tried Googling her name and Holcomb Europe. I never got anywhere. So So it's funny that, you know, it's funny because I, I actually know what OLF stands for, but in my mind, it's Odo Lumina Furiosa. Yeah. Yeah. And, and immediately, you know, my uh, it, it's it's just heartwarming that in 1925, yeah, a, a daddy I know really that's sweet in the writing of yeah. his little girl enough to to uh, give her an instrument. Yes, you know, that's I know a it's, a, it's a love story. It really is. Yeah, yeah. And so a lot of these fountain pens have these names in them. You know. Yeah. Someone gave me one once that had this great name. It was Erwin, E-R-W-I-N, L. Furry, F-U-R-R-E-Y. And I, I, it's just like a character in the Bugs Bunny cartoon. Erwin <laughs> <laughs> L. Furry. <laughs> I, I tried looking that up. I actually found one. But it was... Homer Fudd's uh, exactly. brother. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> his, you know, his cousin or something. Yeah, yeah. I love it. Yeah. That's so cool. So part of the whole thing of this, it's so much fun, this history is you know, real and imagined. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And the fact that you extrapolate such incredible, like, whole worlds and people and and stories and all of that yeah. just from yeah. these small little <laughs> I know. Uh, seeds, you know, it's it, it, they're, they're like seeds that you grow kind of mighty oaks out mm. of. It's pretty neat. One more. This is um, it's actually an inexpensive pen. So if you look at the top of it, there's a little blue plate, and on it it says, um, 
um, the Franklin Fire Insurance, uh, the Franklin Fire Insurance Company, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. So it was a publicity thing. It was a handout, but it's right. beautiful. It's all this, you know, gold yep. <coughs> columns of fleur de lis, and on this pen, I initialed E L M, mm. and I played around with that, and I thought of electrolyte magnetism, Eliphas mm. Levy, magician, which is a great, you know, tarot history thing. Sure. But then I finally came up with Ecstasia Lux Materia. Which became my magical slogan. When I make something, uh, I invoke that phrase, which means the ecstasy of light and matter, which is to say is to trap light, creative light, into a physical object. Well, not trap it, but embody it. I have to make a note. Yeah. So when I make a necklace <laughs> or something, I'll, I'll at the end I'll, you know, cry out "Exasia looks materia," and I'll use this pen as a magic wand sometimes. I love that. I love yeah. that on every level. That is yeah, so isn't it cool. great. Yeah, yeah. It's amazing. Um, and and this is this is some of that stuff that's behind the magic. It's like mm-hmm. who yeah. knew? You know who knew? And I think I guess I felt like, um, and maybe have felt this way since I was a little girl that serious writers typed on a typewriter because that's what <laughs> my granddad did. You know. Um, yeah. So so it's so liberating to. Uh, and I hope it is for our listeners too, um, and our viewers to to understand that you can use mundane tools yeah, for yeah. inspiration yeah. and to create the magic that only you can create. That's a beautiful thing. You know, it's actually there's a fair number of uh, writers who use fountain pens still these days. Still, um, I. You learn yeah. something new every day. Yeah, no, others <laughs> just use a pen, not a fountain pen. It's, it's actually it's interesting. You want to, I was once at this writer's retreat, and it was, it was all people who had to be professional. I had to have sold at least one story. And a lot of them made their living as writers. And and most of them thought it was the strangest thing in the world that I hand-wrote my stories with a fountain pen. Mm. They all use computers, right? You know, which is obviously much more efficient, um, which I then used for the second draft. But anyway, but... Um, but I later found out that actually there's kind of a split between writers who primarily write for a living and writers who write to produce something they love. And the second group tends mm. to use pens and fountain pens more. Yeah, because it's more of an artistic process than yes. a, yeah. Yeah. a production of an item. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah, the process is different. And the mind works so, differently too. The mind gets Absolutely. more de- the mind gets more into the intricacies if you use a pen, and I would say especially a fountain pen because of the expressiveness of the pen of the point. Yeah, absolutely, and probably opens up the channel. Yeah, um, and 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 the neural pathways that that fire all of that creativity around, right? Yes, that's really cool. So I also know that you brought a necklace or two to show us. Yes, yeah, uh, I have a couple. I'll show you the one I'm wearing. Um, so let's see if you can see this. So this was this is an owl um, from an artist. I, I can't remember her name right now, Sally. But she's just released the Tolku Oracle, which is a beautiful oracle deck. I wrote an endorsement of it. Um, mm-hmm. and I got this from her. And then I, I get these magical symbols, and I make a bead necklace to go with it. You can see the beads here. Usually, yeah. they're all, pretty all semi-precious stones. Um, and so, but they're also geared to the day. 
So mm -hmm. Thursday or Thursday is geared to the planet Jupiter and the god Zeus, right? Okay. Well, I'm not a fan. I'm not a fan of. <laughs> um, kind of, you know, somewhat tyrannical. Um, anyway, um, so I tend to use things that are connected to him, but more to my connection. So Athena is the owl, mm -hmm. and, and and the woman designed this one. I don't. I'm not entirely sure she based it on the. Greek coins, but they tend to look like this too. Yeah. So to me, it's Athena, who is Zeus's daughter, um, but also has more of a conscience, shall we say, than Zeus, mm -hmm. in my mind. Um, sure. So there's that one. And then Wednesday is um, Hermes, or Mercury, mm -hmm. the planet Mercury, the god Hermes. And the reason our names of our days don't match the planets is because we have, for four of the seven days, um, we have the um, Germanic name for those gods and goddesses. Right. So Wednesday is Wotan's day, Odin's day. Right. Um, whereas in um, in French, I think it's called Mercredi because it's Mercury Day. Mm-hmm. Um, Thursday is Thor's day. There you um, go. Yeah, rather than... Um, I can't remember now what the name, the French name is for Thursday. But anyway, it's closer to, you know, the Latin. And then um, Wednesday is, um, so it's Votan's Day, but it's Mercury or Hermes. And Hermes is, you know, almost my favorite. Um, I, refer, I refer to Hermes as my brother. It was totally spontaneous. I just started calling him that, my brother. Mm -hmm. And so I got this wonderful pendant um, based upon a, a cameo of the 19th century. And it was yeah. handmade by this wonderful woman online. Um, and it's bronze. And I did all these beads. This is almost my favorite bead group. Of, um, oh, those are beautiful. There's rubies, rubies. and there's um, citrines and various other stones in here. Yeah. And so this I'll often wear on a Wednesday. Um, so, did you so did you create the beading on both yes. of these necklaces? Yeah, yeah. That's wonderful. I've made, I've made a lot of necklaces. I have. For myself, I I haven't counted that many. I have a lot of them, but I've also sold a great many. I sell them at tarot events, and I have to work out how to photograph them so I can sell them online because everything you know the, the events are closed down. Yeah, yeah. We we should definitely get some selling going on because I want to buy one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I'm I'm planning to photograph the ones I currently have for sale for someone else who wants to see them, and so yeah. I will send them photographs to you as well know what I have I would love that yeah that would be very exciting to me good and so um, it's amazing to see behind the creative process and to see that the creative process extends like and, and when we go back to that numerology that freedom-loving adventurer it's like <laughs> you know we would think that the world of literature would be not really very boxing in at all because it's so wide and you can create universes mm. and you know you're so freedom-loving adventuring that it's like yeah i have to have other things too <laughs> you know, yeah. That, that. yeah yeah i have to say that that characterization for me is like Leo. It's, it's this wonderful characterization. I love it. Freedom-loving adventure and storyteller. Wow, this, this is me. <laughs> or at least, my, <laughs> at least you know, that sounds so conceited. All these great things. Yeah, that's me. That's right. You know? <laughs> but I mean, it is how I, it, it is the things I would like to think about myself, you know. 
Exactly. And that's the thing is that if we can, and that's what I, that's why I do the numerology charts a lot of times is because there's so much in the world that tells us what's wrong with us, how we don't fit in or how we need to conform that it's so liberating and so beautiful to take hold of and grasp and become and not apologize for mm. being the wonderful human that we are and mm. living into that, you know, yeah. it's, and if people think that that's conceited, then maybe they need to look at how awesome they are. Yes, <laughs> yeah, I, I, that's very true. You know, just think about those, um, those birth cards, the of life things. Oh, now I'm hearing an echo of myself. Okay, it's going away. It's going away again. Okay, awful to have that. Anyway, but um, so you know, a lot of people might not like the birth cards that much. Mm-hmm. You know, I could see if I was five fourteen, I would think, okay, hierophant, don't care for him, and temperance, not my favorite. But with every group, there are things in the middle that are wonderful. So if you're right. a five, for instance, the very next card on the tree, which is wisdom, is lovers. Right. You know, and then the card of moving that into the world for understanding is the chariot. And so then you have to meet this great thing immediately underneath um, Hierophant. Yeah. 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 There's, it's, it's, it's a, uh, it's a range of things, you know, and it's so beautiful yeah. when, I, you know, I think we come to tarot, some of us come to tarot and want it to be, in fact, there was a conversation just happening last night uh, where, where someone was talking about, how they like things to be very systematized and so they wanted tarot to be you know this meant this and this meant this and this meant this and if it fell together like this it meant this and then had a whole big awakening when (laughs) they realized that it's all kind of on this interesting spectrum and the connections are different for different people at different times um, and different questions and things Mm -hmm. And here's something interesting. So, so to me, the most important thing about tarot is that it's not fixed. Mm-hmm. You shuffle it. I mean, that's to me its most significant quality, which goes against, of course, all those people who see it all as a very strict system of correspondences, which you cannot deviate from. You know? Right. Um, so the tree of life has to be exactly as it's laid out and exactly as the order of the cards is. So, so what I've done in the past, I've done this thing in which you... Um, take the major arcana and you mix them. You lay mm-hmm. them out in the same pattern, which for me is um, a, a, the introductory card in three rows of seven, three horizontal rows like that, you know? So that's mm-hmm. your new tree. So the first, so what we have the center tree is the fool's journey tree, right? But right. if we have the high priestess um, as the first card, then the whole major arcana would be the high priestess's secrets. Ah. Things like that, right? But then it struck me, once you lay it out, you can then do a tree of life is in the same numerical order, but mm-hmm. seeing which cards come in which lines on the tree in your new alternative version. Yeah. So it's always new. It's always fresh. It's always different. Absolutely. And I love that there's um, that there's a place where it's not absolute, where there's not an absolute right or an absolute wrong. Yeah. It's what resonates at the time. Um, you really unlocked that for me in a big way a couple of years ago when we were having a conversation about, I had used the word believe mm-hmm. and you, and you said, you know, well, first of all, I don't really like believe and because it's so fixed and what, how very freedom loving adventurer of you. Right. Yeah. And it had, I have replaced that since that day, I have replaced that 
with what I perceive right now is. <laughs> That's nice. And it has opened up it, a whole, it, my whole way of thinking mm. is, um, has been liberated, right? By that. Yeah. Um, because it's not, I don't have to commit to this one thing mm. that's always going to be this way. Um, and it opens up perceptions and, I, thank you for that. Um, and my family thanks you for that. My children really thank you for that one, Rachel. <laughs> <laughs> so here's, while you're speaking of that, something came to me, which I think is really nice. So if you would replace, I believe, in a sense of I embrace. Yeah. Isn't that a wonderful idea? So you don't yes. believe something, you embrace that possibility. Absolutely. Just, just, just right now when you were talking about that, that came to me yeah. as a, a different way to express it. I'll, I'll take it. <laughs> I'll yeah, take it and yeah. work with it. <laughs> because I love that because it is, it, it is, I value my perception enough and feel invested in it enough to embrace it, take it in close to myself. Yes. Yeah. And, and uh, commiserate with it for, for a while. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's a cool thing. So, um, in talking about your books, cause obviously we need to talk about your yes. book. Um, so Beatrix Gates just came out. Didn't you say 2019 or was yeah, it? 18? Yeah, yeah, it was 2019. Yes. Yeah. And so Beatrix Gates is, um, comprised of, right. A collection of stories an essay and an interview. Mm -hmm. Um, could you tell us a little bit more about Beatrix Gates and what we might find there? Okay. So it's part of a series called um, from PM Press, which is a radical press, but it's a series called Outspoken Authors, and they're all science fiction people. The editor, um, Terry Bisson, is a friend of mine for many years. He just decided to have some of these people, you know, from his generation pretty much, um, you know, present them maybe to new people and so on. So there's a whole bunch of wonderful people in this series. Ursula Le Guin, Michael Moorcock, a bunch of lesser known uh, science fiction writers like me and Paul Park is a wonderful, wonderful writer. Uh, so a whole bunch of people, you know. Um, so the idea is that he wanted to have, you know, a bit of short fiction, some stories, and for each person, um, an essay and then an interview. And so that's what we did. And uh, I decided that, I'm, most people know um, I'm transgender and a lesbian. And mm -hmm. so I go through periods of activism. <laughs> right. I, I came out, we didn't even say transition, it was so long ago, in the early 70s. Um, so long ago. Not so, an easy like, time to come out. It's like 50 goodness. years, you know? Yeah. yeah. So, but in that time, I have, I have, every now and then I have a period of activism and I drop back into not wanting to be well engaged with that stuff. Um, so this, I never responded now to the fact that there's this whole new generation. And I, I, I wanted to respond to that. So I've been doing some writing and stuff like that. Um, so the, the title story, The Beatrix Gates, is set in a kind of, um, I guess you would say it's a sort of transgender utopia in the future. <laughs> in which, um, but it's also, it's also a utopia of the imagination, which is really what I'm all about. Oh, I love you know, it. The idea is that we now have, uh, body altering um, nanomachines, these microscopic sure. things that can change the body, right? And so yeah. bodies can be changed, sculpted, become all different. And so mm -hmm. when this is introduced, it turns out that there's a problem that all of the people who created them, the engineers and the biologists, 
can't quite get the hang of making it work. Mm. And then it turned out that the people who can are transgender people because they're used to the concept of remaking everything. Right. And of just sort of a transformation of, and so they kind of become the elite of society. So it's a, it's a kind of just reversing roles, obviously. They're the elite, you know, and people aspire. <laughs> it was fun doing that. And, um, Absolutely. But the real fun of it, though, of that part of the story, is that it's not just about, you know, making yourself a preferred version. It's making yourself completely new and yeah. magical. And your body can dissolve and reform. And all these things are happening. People are writing etched into their skins. Um, and one of the wonderful, one of the things I had fun doing was um, a, a, a man uh, who has uh, writing, you know, microscopically etched into his penis. And when huh? it's, when it's um, erect, it's one thing. And when it's not yeah. erect, it says something else. <laughs> so the secret <laughs> message is only shows when he's erect. Which is, That's um, so that, and so the heroine of that part was this mysterious figure called um, Harp. And she's like this legendary figure, and she's and she's pretty much transcended into a different you know, dimension. <laughs> and sure. so she's, people don't see her much. But anyway, but then within that story, um, I want to look at what people have gone through, you know, in our time and before the current situation. So one of my main characters is really me fantasizing to the future, having mm. made, made it past the revolution. <laughs> and, right. and this version of me has a young lover who says to her, you know, oh, tell me what it was like in the old days. And she says, well, I'll tell you a story. So the story's got an allegory of oppression. Mm. And it's about a time when everybody was either a red or a, red or a green. Mm. And reds and greens were seen as totally different species. They couldn't, they couldn't, they certainly couldn't mix. Sure. You know, if you were red, you had to eat red food, wear red clothes, do everything red. Mm-hmm. And the same with green. Um, then maybe you could maybe go to the same movie, but it had to be separate sides of the theater. You know, and yet my main character, who's, um, I guess she's a red, but she feels herself to be a green. She has this deep inner compulsion yeah. to identify as a green, which she doesn't understand. So she goes through this whole process. And, and it, but at the end, of the result of all this is, is that she comes back from her process and she's living that successfully as a green but she's had to break off of her family because her mother disowns her and finds her an abomination which right. sadly happens i mean i just hear it so does. many terrible stories not just about trans people but you know queer people of all sorts being thrown out by their families it's just, it's just astonishing to me that any family would do that anyway yeah, I... but but you know then she suddenly but she comes back to this moment when she had her transformation in which she mis- met this mysterious woman named Beatrix, who stood before this gateway. And it was mm-hmm. a gateway to other worlds, mm-hmm. in which nothing was fixed. Everything was constantly in motion, in flux, <laughs> and colors especially. And there were colors no one ever heard of or saw. And she's tempted to go through, but she says, no, I, I, I work too hard to get where I am now. I have to do that. And she leaves. And at the end, yeah. she has this experience in which she's... Um, she goes to um, Museum of Natural History and she hears um, radio astronomy and they say this is like the old, you know, the music of the spheres, but this is the reality. And she starts hearing real music. Mm-hmm. And she's in some music that she's heard beyond Beatrix Gates. And so then she somehow manages to return there and the gates are open for her and she 
goes into the other existence. Because for yeah. me, all the stuff that we are doing is we're, we're embracing it. It's yeah. not a fixed reality. And no. you know, and it, and if you're different than other people, you if you embrace that, that's your step towards going beyond everything, which you yes. may never do. You know, and other people have no idea desire to do that. But to me, that's part of what's going on. Absolutely, and <clears throat> as as the mother of um, uh, all three of my kids are Leos, but as the mother of uh, of a Leo who is gender fluid, mm. um, it is. Uh, thank you for mm. writing this. This is something that's going to be purchased today. <laughs> oh, good. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because it. Yeah. Because the the fluidity concept is a very interesting one too. Because yes, yeah. um, because this individual is so it is such a multifaceted gem mm -hmm. that some days the light hits them one way and some days the light hits yeah, them the other. Lovely. Yeah, and they express themselves in whatever way that is with the freedom to do that. And uh, the freedom that the freedom that they get from you. Well, and the thing is that I think I of those parents, like, you know, parents who would beat a child like that. Yes, my you know, and in who, fact, who would throw them out. Who would say, you know, you have to be a boy or a girl, and you have to be the original version, you know, and that's it. You can't. I mean, it's this just is, shocking that people do that. That is the family that I grew up in with fundamentalists, okay. oh, um, yeah. and so this is the reason why we don't have anything, you know, because because. In opening up to the possibilities of, and just, and not even the possibility, but the reality of what this human being who happened to come from my womb, you know, and grace mm -hmm. me with their presence in my mm -hmm. life, yeah. to be able to parent and come alongside such a wonderfully dynamic thing is like my god if i shoved you into a box look what we would all be missing i know exactly and, Isn't that, it's incredible and, yeah. and it's just it, it, it's it makes so much more sense to allow people to be and express themselves how i mean it's i wouldn't have given my kids two crayons you know it, it, like you <laughs> in the red and the green i wouldn't have been like here's your coloring book yeah, and you get two yeah. colors you know i'm i'm the person that's like come on crayola we need like 120 what's happening you know mm. <laughs> so um <laughs> so i uh we we like to color with uh we like to color with all the colors in the crayon box around Wonderful. here oh, and, that's great and some really beautiful things come from that and so I, you know, I'm, I'm excited about reading Beatrix Gates and about sharing that with my, with my child who, mm -hmm. uh, and for any of our listeners, I just know that when, when someone goes ahead and shares from those experiences and those stories and has the courage to do all that you've done, especially at the time in our history, mm -hmm. when you were, when you were standing in, in those places, it's just a really, really big gift that um, I just am so deeply, so deeply grateful for that. Thank you for being brave and amazing and wonderful. <laughs> you know, it's interesting. I'm, I'm writing this book um, about my life. It's called On the Way I Told a Tale, or My Life in Tarot, Storytelling, and Magic. And right. one of the things I realized thinking about this is, in many ways, my life began in 1970-71. Because yeah. in that year, 
all within that one year, um, I discovered the tarot. Mm-hmm. I kind of accepted myself. I came to terms with myself as, as I was, I would say then it was just a woman, not even transgender because that term didn't exist then, and came out, to, started coming out to people. And mm-hmm. I saw my first professional short story. All, the, all within that one year. Is that amazing? That is amazing that, and comes back full circle to that thing about not believing, but perceiving and mm. embracing. Yeah, yeah. It's like, look what, you, you embrace the things and look at what came out. <laughs> I know, it's, <laughs> like, it's, it's, it's so fascinating that all these major things in my life within that same period. Tara was remarkable. first, actually. The, of those three, the Tara was the first thing. Spring of 1970. Wow. Yeah. That's amazing. What was your first deck? Oh, the Rider deck, but it wasn't the Rider deck officially. It was a, I, I'm not sure if it was unauthorized. or. I know that when um, U.S. Games reduced their edition, that other one had to go off the market, so I'm not, it might have been unauthorized. It was called University Press Edition. It's very prized now. It's very special. That's. Do you still have it? Yeah, I have. I don't have the very, very original one because that was stolen from my office. I was teaching at a college. Uh, but um, I have the one I got after that. It's so very old and worn out. Because my partner and I, we carried it through Europe and we were tenting, so it got wet and stuff like that. Right. It's very special, yeah. Yep. It's interesting what the cards go through. And speaking of cards and what they go through, I have, I happen to have this really wonderful 40th anniversary edition yeah. of 78 Degrees of Wisdom. So I um, wanted to talk a little bit about this as well, because this came out last year. Um, this is my copy that my husband got for me, and it actually, he opened it up on uh, around Yule mm-hmm. and showed me that I actually had a, he got me one that has your autograph <laughs> yes, in it, yeah. which is yeah. very exciting. It's that was a special nice thing I did, yeah. <laughs> we did, we did, I forget what number it was. It was a, you know, a good number, but not, but definitely a special collector's item. Yeah, so I'm thrilled by that. And it it begs a couple of questions. Mm -hmm. You know, what do you feel like has changed in uh, this 40 years since you wrote it originally? Uh, Well, the thing that really strikes me now, which is so wonderful, is the incredible abundance of new decks. Books too, but new decks especially. Yeah. And all of it made possible by Kickstarter and similar crowdfunding programs. Yeah. Because you can be adventurous, you can be much more daring than if you had to get a publisher to publish it. And they they invest have to invest a lot of money because of the way they end up selling and distributing things. Right. So they have to play safe in a certain sense. But you can just, you know, you don't need that many people to make enough money to publish a deck. If you do, if you you know find out how to do it yourself, you have to you know it's a, it's a process. So that's a huge difference. And, um, I also think that there's a lot more variety in what people do with and what they expect of tarot. Than, right. And there's, not, there's less fighting about it. You know, it used to be people would, you know, the the occultists would tend to look down on the readers, and the readers would, you know, sort of. I don't know if they looked down, but they would ignore the occultists, and there wasn't much mixing of things. Right. Um, there was people weren't doing it psychologically; they were just doing fortune telling. I'm not sure. You know, right now there's a, a great surge in people connecting to spirit guides, and sometimes it's they literally, you know, 
told to them. Um, yeah. I watch these videos. And I can't. I, I'd like to find out if I could interview one or two of them to find out, you know, if there are there points at which you're getting direct messages and other points at which you're looking at the cards. Right. Because it seems to be it's a bit of a difference. And, and maybe maybe both are always happening, but there's a ratio. At sure. some point, the messages are strong. At some point, the cards are more strong. It's so, but but that's a whole new way of doing it. And they're, they're doing readings about politics a lot, about the public world situation, which we didn't used to do. Um, so that's, there's so much going on. I just love that. I think it's just wonderful. Do you feel like tarot has come a long, a long way in the mainstream in that 40 years as well? It's starting to, you know, like that article you mentioned in Teen Vogue and the article I think in the Times actually recently yeah. um, made a reference to tarot. So people are a little bit less, but you still see the general attitude though. It's like, you know, creepy, weird fortune telling either they're, you know, satanic or they're crooks. Right. Or they're gullible children yeah. who get possessed by demons. You know, there's, there's, you know, that that's that's still there a lot, you know. Yeah. And also the idea that the tarot reader, you know, sees all, tells all, that you know, you don't have to say anything. The tarot reader reveals all the secrets to you. Right. Which is so annoying if you're a tarot reader. It is because that's not all. It becomes a guessing game. It becomes a trick. You know, it's not about right. helping people. It's right. about showing off that you can figure out what's going on with them. Yeah. But they know what's going on with them. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And they and sometimes they need to just have a place to talk about it. That the the Teen Vogue thing was so interesting because so like a K pop icon mm -hmm. um mentioned you in Teen Vogue specifically mentioning seventy eight degrees. Wow. And so it's such a cool thing that you literally became the muse of an artist who wasn't even alive when you wrote yeah. the first edition. Yeah. And it begs the question, you know, did you ever really think that all of this would go so far and be so, uh, and be so re well received? I'd say probably not, you know. I think my fantasies, my fantasies would have been that it would be very well received in the occult world within the divination world, you know, tarot traditions, and maybe in you know fantasy writing or something like that. But it, I don't think it ever would occur to me to have such a wide reach, you know, which is yeah. pretty exciting. It's wonderful. It, it's pretty amazing. Yeah. Um, and so, as we kind of uh, and, and and was there anything else that you wanted to say about this newest work that you're doing in, in my life in tarot storytelling and magic? It's so intriguing. When is that happening? What's happening with that? Well, anything it's very else? much in the process of, you know, uh, it's going to be long. I'm probably going to have to cut down a lot because I'm letting it go wherever it goes. And it jumps around a lot. But it was really the thing I, that I've been becoming conscious of is that magic has always meant something different to me than to most people. Mm. And I kind of knew this, which is I knew how most people see the term magic. And I sort of, without thinking about it, embraced the word differently. Yeah. So magic is for most people, it's like a, it's the kind of technology that you learn, that you commit yourself to. You, you can do spells, you can summon demons or whatever. And so sure. it's a, lot, a lot of it's about power. And the power can be to transform yourself into a higher state of being, or it can be to you know, do things in the world, but either way, it's power. 
Um, and, you know, and witches cast spells for the benefit of themselves and people around them and so on and so on. But for me, magic is things that happen to you or to me, sometimes by myself, that connect me to, in a sense, the, the spiritual dimension of being. Mm-hmm. And they happen a lot. And yeah, I don't know, I don't know if they happen to me a lot or most people pay no attention. Yeah, you have to, it's it's like yeah. uh, the whispers, right? <laughs> yeah, I think like, you know, the magical slogan that came to me years ago is simply pay attention. Yeah. That's the most important thing you can do. But again, it's not that I want to learn to do magic. I want to embrace the magical dimension of living. And exactly. I do, I certainly do some levels of spells and things. Sure. But I, I, I try to keep that very modest. I now, mm-hmm. had, I now and then had like glimpses of the fact that they can be very, very powerful. Mm-hmm. And then it's, it's a little dangerous. Um, oh, it's it certainly, it, being that we're not omniscient, yeah. uh, it, it, it definitely, there, there are things that we might not have thought of. <laughs> yeah, we yeah. Go, right? yeah, yeah. And often like you could do something in a temporary way, but then, you know, if you're trying to help some situation, but then it comes back, comes back worse. Yeah. And there's a couple of stories I won't go into. This little bit, it was, they were kind of heavy. Mm-hmm. Things I was trying to do for people that worked to my kind of amazement, but mm-hmm. then they didn't work for that long. And when the situation came back, it came back worse. And yeah. So that's something to really be careful of. There's a wonderful book called um, All the Birds in the Sky by, um, what the hell is her name now? It'll come to me. Anyway, um, and it's about, it's about these two kids, and one is drawn to uh, magic, the other is drawn to science. And then the world is in a crisis, it's a kind of dystopia. Um, and so they each are trying to pursue it in their different ways. And the, and the, the, you know, the magician, I mean, sorry, the scientists are seen as very arrogant. Mm-hmm. You know, they're in danger. There's the idea of solutions that are in danger of the world further. And meanwhile, the, the girl that becomes a magician, um, she keeps being held back by the people, by the people, the teachers, the magical group. And they keep warning her of aggrandizement. And it mm-hmm. sounds like, it keeps sounding like they just don't want her to believe in herself. And it's like, you know, a parent saying, you know, you're too full of yourself. You need to, you know, have more modesty and not think so highly of yourself. Um, and what happens then is she finds out exactly why they warn of this. Because they give in the idea that they're going to save the world. Mm. And the result is far more disastrous than the scientists. It's, it's, yeah. a, it's a fabulous book. It's a gorgeous book, you know. Um, so good. Some tip of my tongue. Anyway, the book is called All the Birds in the Sky. All right. Yeah, and we'll, we'll include we'll include the uh, the name of that author and the name of the coin sure. maker. We'll make sure that we get everybody's okay. credit. Yeah, thank in you. There yeah, when we, yeah. When we do yeah. If you're if you're watching or listening, look in the description because we'll make sure that everybody's names and things are in there. Okay. Yeah. Um, so, is there anything else you want to share before we uh, before we start our close out? Well, I want to share something that actually just happened. That's um. Okay. It's, it's rather heavy. I hope it's okay. Um, it's fine. While we were doing this, my housemate, Zoe, was on the computer and said, oh, oh, my God, she said. And then she said to me that Stuart Kaplan died today. Yeah. You, you know about this. Okay. And I just I just felt I'd like to – February 9th, she just said. So I'd like to give a small tribute to Stuart. Um, Absolutely. You know, he did something 
that was a certain sense genius. And that totally transformed Tarot. You know, he saw this thing that was obscure and the province of occultists and fortune tellers. And he saw this could be reach the whole world. Yeah. And this, you know, everything in a sense comes from that. I, I wrote about this. There was a tribute to him for 80th birthday, and they asked me if I would. And that's what I wrote about. Um, mm. And I, it's just very moving to think of Stuart and everything he did. Yes. Yeah. So I just wanted to pay a tribute to him having this moment in which I was able to do that. Absolutely. And so grateful mm-hmm. are we all for yes. his contributions. Yeah, none of us would be him. here without him, you know? Yeah. And, you know, he stuck his neck out a little bit to make that happen. Yeah. yeah. It wasn't like that was just some easy feasy thing yeah, <laughs> to yeah. do. But, but and, to me, it was a vision. I think he just had a genuine vision, you know? I think he went to, I think, but stories, if I understand, was he went to a car convention and saw tarot cars. And he just got that this could be something. Yeah. And was, he embraced it. Yeah, he embraced it and went with it completely. Yes, yeah. Or we wouldn't be where we are today. Yeah, I know. It's 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 a phenomenal thing. So I hope there's a you know great tribute to him in the tarot world. Absolutely. He has left an amazing legacy yeah, for sure. For sure, yes. So if there was one piece of advice that you would give people, and you only got one, okay. what would it be? Well, this, the one I always say, in particularly, well, not terribly, really anything, is what you love, loves you. And I, I'm not actually sure, I might have made it up or I might have read it somewhere, but to <laughs> me, it's like if you approach something, you have to, you know, it's something you need to, be, to care about. You know, if you approach Sharif and say, like, okay, I'm going to, you know, learn how to do this and impress people and make money as a fortune teller, you might not get very far. Or you mm-hmm. might, but it wouldn't really be meaningful to you. Mm-hmm. But if you approach it with love, it will respond to you. It will love you back. And, you know, it's hard to explain what exactly that means, but it, it's a true thing, I think. Yeah. Well, and it goes for the tarot. It goes for your books. It goes. Yeah. It goes for your jewelry. It goes for your pens, right? All of yeah, all you. of those things behind the magic that you make. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. There are things that you loved, and you embraced them, and they loved you back. And mm-hmm. here we are, um, living in a different way than we might have been had you not embraced the things that you loved. Thank you. So thank mm-hmm. you for doing that and yeah, for wonderful. setting an yeah. example. Thank you very much. Yeah. And so now that we have spent some time together behind the magic, Mm -hmm. um, we'd like to pull cards to bring us all back into our day and time, keeping the magic that we've shared together today here with us as we go forward. And so um, would you like to pull the card first there? Sure. So I mixed the Shine Tribe deck before, and I got the Ten of Trees which would be the Ten of Wands. Mm-hmm. And you know how the Ten of Wands in the Rider deck shows someone bent down carrying a bunch of wands, a bunch of sticks? It's kind of impressive. Um, I think right. actually the Golden Dawn name for that was the Lord of Oppression, something like that. So he's, you know, he's oppressed by his burdens. And I thought that the Ten of Fire should be joyous. So, But the Ten Wands are all lined, the Ten Trees are lined up, five and five. So that's all you've accomplished. 
But then the new tree, the tree of life energy coming out of the solar system of, of existence, is just bursting forth. And if you can see it at the top, there's like um, spirit beings, other branches. Yeah. So I think this is wonderful where we are with tarot and what's going on with tarot. Because we're all like, you know, now we're rooted in the world that's happened and all the things that have happened before. But now all of us are, you know, bursting forth with new, new life, which I think is so exciting. And yeah, that's beautiful. So that's, that's the card I'm offering. And the card that I pulled, interestingly, is the Ten of Coins. <laughs> okay. Which in the fountain, if I can get my light there. Yeah, it's hard to see. It's a lot of reflection. Yeah, and and this particular deck is so it's so filled with light, so it's a yeah, little challenging yeah. to see that one. Yeah. But the, it's the Ten of Pentacles in in the uh, in the, the Rider Waite yeah, Smith, yeah. which is very interesting that we were just talking about Stuart Kaplan and the legacy, mm, right? So yeah. it's the legacy. It's the legacy that we live. It's the legacy yeah. that we leave. It's the um it, it's the collection of all of the things of of a lifetime's worth of work and mm. love and loving what you love and embracing those things yes. um and so i would offer this with the blessing that i hope that our our viewers and our listeners get as much out of this as you and i did today and that yeah that we all can go forward um a little bit more mindful of what we embrace and that we can embrace mm -hmm. and that even very small humble beginnings that don't seem like they'll go anywhere can sometimes go a very long way wonderful thank you thank you so much thank you so much for spending this time oh with i us had a great today, time Rachel. yeah so glad you joined me behind the magic today to connect with me directly for a reading, life coaching, or more magic, visit amymauser.com. That's A-M-I-E-M-O-U-S-E-R.com. I now return you to your regularly scheduled programming, the magical life you're living. May something you found here benefit you as you make your way. <laughs>